Our program removes like 15 pounds of sugar per student per year. That's crazy to think of sugar in terms of pounds. Yeah, our food system has been flooded. Like it is shocking. You may be what you eat, but healthy has a different definition for everybody. From Food Equality Initiative, I'm Sophia Gillespie, and welcome to Free From Podcast. The National School Lunch Program is administered by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. It sets rules and regulations that participating schools across the nation have to follow in providing meals for their students. These range from nutrition standards to food buying guides to the types of grain options allowed in meals. In early February 2023, the U.S. Department of Agriculture announced plans to edit the nutritional requirements to lower sugar and sodium in meals provided by the National School Lunch Program. So you could say the overall goal is to make meals healthier for students. But is that really what's happening at school? Today, we're going to talk about what it takes to get kids to make healthier choices to feed themselves. Joining me is Nora Latori, CEO of Eat Real, a nonprofit committed to shifting $1 billion in school food purchasing power towards more regenerative foods in order to tackle two of the most pressing issues facing society today the health of our children, and the health of our planet. Through its award-winning certification program, awareness building, and policy advocacy, Eat Real is on a quest to make food at schools in the United States more nutritious so children can lead happy, long, and healthy lives. So Nora, thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me and for having this important conversation. Can you tell me, you know, just blank page about school lunch in the United States? So school lunch has the potential to be the most delicious, sustainable, nutrient-dense food that a child has that really fuels their success. And school lunches are and breakfast are incredibly important to the health of children and to the health of our society. And so there are about 30 million children who depend on school lunches today. So it's actually the largest restaurant chain in America. If you think about it, there are over 90,000 public schools alone. There's one in every community and kids are eating at school and they're learning about food. They're tasting new foods. They're learning about sharing meals and a lot of social interaction. Um, and they're getting the nourishment that they need. So that determines, you know, how do they focus later in the day or how do they um, achieve the test scores that they want and that they feel full and happy and they don't have a tummy ache from something that they ate? And how do they really be fueled for their performance in sports and academics and beyond? Today, the, it really runs a range in terms of what food is available to students. And unfortunately, there's a lot of inequities in what is available to different students around the country. And so our vision is that it can be delicious, nutrient-dense, sustainable everywhere. And how do we change our food culture in general from an ultra-processed food culture that's the biggest driver of disease and early death in America and driving the children's health crisis, which we can talk about, into that nutrient-dense food that we know is possible, that we see is possible. Like I eat school lunch every week, pretty much for the last few months I've been eating, like consistently in schools and it is so delicious and inspiring and seeing the kids light up, like we believe that should be everywhere. Like good books in a classroom, like working breaks on a school bus. Yeah, I've never heard school lunch be described as a restaurant chain, but 
I guess it is. Yeah. Like you have people come in. Some people are buying it. Some people are getting free or reduced lunch. But yeah, it's still but the most important customers. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and if you think about it, like they are huge buyers to local businesses as well. So in terms of supporting local thriving economies and local farmers, they're hugely important. Schools, like we just were at a school and they were serving 7,000 meals a day. Like the volume is massive. Uh, and so they are the biggest restaurant chain. And some schools are serving lunch, breakfast, dinner, like they can be 30 to 100% of a kid's calories. So we think that they're not only the biggest restaurant, but the most important restaurant serving the most important customers. Wow. So would you say students are set up to make healthy food choices at school, how it is right now? It has been slowly moving in the right direction. I would say uh, the Healthy Hungry Free Kids Act really did set higher national standards that have been proven to give kids better options and that actually were helpful in reducing obesity, especially for children living in poverty. There was a Harvard study that showed in 2018, because of higher standards at a national level, it reduced obesity for children living in poverty by 47%. So we have been raising the bar for our food system. Occasionally they get rolled back, but now states are starting to set standards that are higher as well. Um, And then eat real standards come in and layer on top of those standards. And we show that it is possible and that the kids do want it. Like they love it. They, we see the parents asking for school recipes now on Facebook groups. We see kids asking like, can you come be the chef at my house? Like to the school chefs, like there is this shift where there's, it doesn't have to be a trade-off. The food can be delicious. It can be sustainable and it could be nutrient dense and healthier. And the kids do love it. They light up. Wow. You're painting quite a different picture than what I'm envisioning when I think of school lunch. At least in my experience, it comes on a tray whether it's a plastic tray or on a styrofoam tray. I think in many places, school lunch hasn't changed so much from what I grew up on, like the white bread sandwich with a little bit of peanut butter and chicken nuggets. And like a burger still is the number one item on a a school meal, but how do we give them a better burger that's super nutrient dense, that's from a local ranch, um, that give them a plant powered bean option, et cetera. Make sure the bun doesn't have harmful dough conditioners. We can make it be a better, more inspiring meal experience. Yeah. Well, and if if it is a restaurant, you don't go to a restaurant that you don't like. Yeah. And yeah, so we, we should definitely make them places that are very welcoming and enjoyable. Kids often maybe get a bad rap for really picky, right? And like, they're only going to eat mac and cheese. Or they're only, you know, they just want this one thing. If that's all we give them. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't sound like that's the case. Yeah, this idea of kid food is like, actually, we were just out to dinner. And I was like, why is the kid menu so uninspiring? And like, why is this what we think should be kid food? 67% of kids' calories are ultra-processed calories. We're literally feeding our kids sickness and we can stop disease before it starts by giving them real food. It should, kid food should be the most delicious and nutrient dense. So uh, it was like exactly when they need it for growing bodies and growing minds. Right. Well, and they have the most fresh taste buds, I suppose. So you would want to make sure everything's the best. Yeah. Can you tell us about Eat Real and how you are getting involved in school lunches? What we do is we really center local leaders in as the change makers. We believe that food service directors and nutrition directors, that the school leadership, they're the heroes in the story and that they're the, they're the biggest food buyers for the biggest restaurants in town. And so really we're about supporting them with the data, the technical assistance, the capacity building. We take our standards, we assess their meal program, we give them this very data-driven report where we're like, here's where you're rocking it. Here are some ideas on how you can keep going even higher. Here are what we see are the biggest opportunities. But then it's not us coming in and just saying, you have to do X, Y, and Z. It's really us saying, 
what is your food strategic plan? How do you want to make this the best restaurant? And by the way, it can increase participation and make it a more profitable, like a better functioning restaurant that is a, like has more customers and more students and parents saying yes to, and raising their hands for those meals. Afterwards, after they said, okay, we're going to do these things, they have their action plan, we reassess them. And after that, then they can get Eat Real certified. And there are different levels like lead um, certification, or some people say we're like Michelin star meets uh, blueprint. And so maybe they get one star, like how do I get them to be three star? Uh, or so uh, it's really about um, giving them the information, the data, the support, and then the model where they can keep raising the bar from green to silver to gold to platinum. So platinum being they're serving the best food ever. Yes. Awesome. How many schools have been in your program? We've had rapid growth. Um, we've gone from 50 to 537 schools in three years. We're in California, Colorado, Minnesota, and we're launching in with a generous USDA grant in Tennessee, Mississippi, and Arkansas and the Mississippi Delta with some incredible leaders. And we have a wait list of over 2,000 schools across the nation of leaders who are raising their hands to say we want a, that better experience for our kids and we want to feel their success. And so um, it is a national model that can be replicated everywhere. And we have other countries reaching out to us as well. Last year, we helped increase access for over 300,000 students to 115 healthier and greener meals. 150, sorry, not 115. That would be tiny. Uh, we did 115 million meals in terms of increasing access. So for a nonprofit, that's a really, really powerful impact. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like you're also having some impact along the lines of policy yes. as well. So I want to bring in um, that this February, the California State Senator, Nancy Skinner, introduced a bill that you helped write um, that would set guidelines for sugar content in school meals. So can you tell us a little bit more about the reasoning behind that bill and what you're you would hope it would achieve. Yeah. So what's interesting is I mentioned those standards, those national standards, the Healthy Hungry Free Kids Act that was enacted, and that didn't even touch added or free sugar. And so there were whole grain standards, you know, there, there were there were standards, but it didn't even talk about how much sugar is flooded into our school food system. And then at a national level, higher standards were just introduced. But this move by Senator Skinner is really powerful because it would be the highest sugar standard ever set in the history of our nation, I believe. And it's still um, a little bit under construction in terms of it was just introduced and now um, different folks are putting in their letters of support and whatnot. But the idea is that it would reduce the amount of added sugar, keeping it to um, less than 25 grams of added sugar per the American Heart Association's guidelines. That's the initial uh, proposal. Her bill is really powerful because it also advocates for and would make it more adequate meal time because right now students are so rushed. Like by the time they actually get through the line, they're just like shoveling the food in there and they're not having that like amazing food experience and um, and having enough adequate time to eat. And so it's a multi-pronged approach to um, transforming food in schools, making really the lunchroom the best classroom, and then setting important sugar standards that would really create the the health that's needed in California. And so we were really excited to partner with her and many, many leading organizations to make that proposal. And now we're asking people to come and learn more on our website to um, support it and to encourage that the national standards move in that direction as well. Yeah. And I kind of want to reiterate what you said and maybe go a little bit deeper about 
sugar and how it can impact our health. And so you're saying the, the recommended limit is 25 grams of added sugar for children or is that for everyone, adults as well? That's looking like really at children. Okay. Like some people say it should be less than 10% of your calories daily across the board for people, like whether you're a kid or an adult, or it should be less than 5% is actually the International World Health Organization recommendation. So it would be incredible if we could move in that direction. Partly why we think sugar is really important is because um, you know, kids can eat a bathtub of added sugar now a day. And this is a recent phenomenon. Like there is sugar hidden throughout our foods. <laughs> like when we look at it from like dressings to like flavored milks, to sodas, to hidden in breads, like it is pervasive. We know that a kid's metabolic health, when they reduce the amount of added sugar that they're getting flooded with in seven days and actually in 10 days with the UCSF study, it transformed their metabolic health. And so just by reducing sugar is a really powerful and important um, measurement, especially as we have a huge children's health crisis on our hands. I'd love to talk about like the why behind added sugar is that um, type two diabetes, which is an ultra processed food disease, and it's like heavily driven by sugar, went up 76% in children during the pandemic. There are ultra processed food diseases that used to not show up until adulthood that are now showing up at extreme unprecedented rates. We're actually seeing a phenomenon called American health collapse in which millennials are on track to have shorter lifespans than their parents. So like reverse progress, you know, you want to leave a better life for your kid and help them have a long, happier life, or at least as long of a life and as happy of life as you had. And what we're seeing is that actually the number one driver in that reduced lifespan and health span is processed food related disease and sugar within that is a key component of ultra processed food, really hurting and holding our kids back and hurting our entire healthcare infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's not just diabetes, right? It's also increasing uh, hypertension and fatty liver disease. I was reading the article about the bill. It said in there that 92% of school breakfasts and 69% of school lunches currently exceed the standard of added sugar limits, which is crazy when you're thinking about how many kids receive almost all their meals at school. Yeah. Our program with some, a couple simple changes, not even looking at everything we do, uh, removes like 15 pounds of sugar per student per year. Like it, like our, our food system has been flooded. That's crazy to think of sugar in terms of pounds. Yeah. Picture a sugar bag and then picture a little kid and them holding it. Like it is shocking. And it it doesn't help with focus. It hurts a gut microbiome. There's like it, it spikes their insulin levels. Like it, 90% of your serotonin is made in your gut. And so if your gut is imbalanced because of it's being spiked with sugar and bad um, bacteria is being, is growing, et cetera, like it, it really affects their, their development, their executive function, their mental health. Like it is really important that we're feeding kids and nourishing their, their growth and their happiness. Oh, absolutely. What are some other things we should be looking at, whether on a state or federal level, to improve the health of school lunches? One thing that we think is really important is that all eyes should be on our farm bill. And so the farm bill, looking at actually the national farm bill, um, what crops we subsidize. So today we subsidize corn, wheat, soy, and sugar. And if we instead subsidize and invested in regenerative and organic and vegetable farmers, then those items would be cheaper, more accessible, and more readily consumed. So if we're making 
on ultra processed, unhealthy items, ultra available, and versus making those nutrient dense, delicious rainbow color foods that we need kids and families to have access to. And so we really think that we need a transformative farm bill and that we start rethinking which crops we're prioritizing, that we're prioritizing crops that feed kids health and that also help regenerate the planet. And the farm bill is updated. It's every five years. Is that right? Mm -hmm. And so the next one is being updated supposedly this September, 75% of the farm bill's budget goes to providing funding for SNAP, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. And then there's just, I mean, it's still a ton of money, but it's a sliver of what we're providing for those commodities that you were talking about. The big ones that are easy to grow in large amounts, and it's only going to the big farms that are, you could even say, fueling this crisis that we're having with with diabetes and, and other chronic dietary conditions. So I'm glad you brought that up. It's important, especially as we're going to be voted on this year. So this is a good time to get involved. Yeah. And we'll, we'll be having more information as people sign up for our newsletter and whatnot about simple actions that people can take to raise their voices for farm bill innovation and being bold for kids' health. We're hoping to make different policies and regulations that schools will need to implement and you know help boost the health of everyone. But how do you see that actually play out in the schools because, you know, it may be required that the students take a milk carton at lunch or at breakfast, but, you know, it's not required that they drink it. And so I'm just curious, how do you see it play out? Does it take a bit to get them actually on board? Yeah, it takes awareness building, making school food cool and making it delicious. Like we're seeing people adding in kitchens and more staff and chefs. These are like former Michelin star chefs that are incredible. Um, And so like students get really excited and inspired by having chefs and having the food be delicious because you're right. Food waste is a major problem helping Kid, those meals be delicious and look really good and be culturally relevant is really important. It can take kids like 15 tries to expand their palate. And so a lot of it is about giving kids exposure to things. Food truly can be delicious and it's not just possible in California. It is possible across the nation. I think that's so important for all of us to hear and really internalize because I remember when I was a high school student, all the cool kids ate the items from the a la carte line, you know, the mozzarella sticks, the fries, pizza, onion rings, while the regular lunch line or bringing your lunch from home was quote unquote uncool. However, with the involvement of teachers and lunch staff, we really could make eating school lunch cool for everyone, thereby making nutrient dense meals accessible to all students. You know, healthy food can be cool too. Oh yeah. There's music playing at Mount Diablo last week. It was like amazing. We work school district by school district. We build awareness. And then on the policy level, I mentioned a couple important policies that make it so we make school food cool again. And the other thing that you just mentioned that I think is important is like making sure that it, there's equitable access and that there's universal free meals or that there are meals available to any kids without stigma because like Part of the problem is, I think you were kind of touching on, is like the stigma between different school food items and, oh, you can afford this or, oh, you have that color pass for the food or you're on re- reduced lunches or you owe the school money and you have debt. So there's you get this other meal and then there's lunch shaming. Like, how do we remove all of that? I think the pandemic showed like what a critical safety net school meals are. And so we're a big advocate of that national meals for any kid that needs it statewide. And And we should just call it like meals and books for kids. You know, it's just like make the lunchroom a good classroom. Right. You're almost starting to sound like Miss Frizzle, which is honestly what we all need, you know, making education fun and accessible. And we really can say that we learned so much during the pandemic about so many things. And one thing I wanted to bring up is the supply chain issue and how that's impacted the food system. 
How have you seen this play out in your schools? What's really interesting is the schools that were in our program that had done the Eat Well certification, they had more supply chain resiliency because they had re-regionalized their food system. Instead of relying on the the chicken factory across the country that then had a worker shortage and then that truck driver shortage and then uh, gas prices were so high. And so it was just like the perfect storm of issues. But as for our food service directors who had found that local supplier where they had created a more regional food map where possible, they didn't run into those same issues. And so they didn't have to compromise that quality. Well, I guess that just goes to show that diversity is always good and basically all of its forms. Yeah. And knowing the people behind your products, like the farmer down the street. Exactly. It's going to strengthen your community. And I know some people listening might say, well, that's easy to say in California where everything grows year round. But we're seeing it be done in other states with winter. We're launching in the Mid-South. Like it is possible and maybe not all times, but there are better food options across the board. And um, it, it can be done and it is being done. I think it can be done at a national level. And we have to because our kids are getting sicker. Over 18% of our GDP is spent on healthcare and 70 plus percent of that is processed food related disease. So we spend almost, oh, just over now, it was 3.8 trillion, now it's over $4.1 trillion on healthcare to treat diet related diseases. If we upstream feed kids real food and give them families access to healthy food that keeps them healthy and happy and a longer life, then we won't be spending that money on treating preventable processed food related diseases. And I love that we're able to do this through the school system as well, which is a place every child in the United States has to go through. It makes it feel a lot more approachable that we can actually provide that access to nutrient dense foods that everyone needs to live along healthy, happy life. Totally. When we think about like school as an, as an infrastructure in society, it's like you're supposed to learn hard skills and soft skills. You're supposed to learn. It's where you go to learn about like social, emotional, like how to interact with your friends, how to interact in your community, how to um, build friendships, which social relationships are so important to happiness. It's where you learn, yeah, math, science, like all, all the history, etc. But it's also where you're supposed to go to learn life skills. And Eating is one of the things we do most in our lives, and we need to learn how to eat to fuel our happiness, I think, and to nourish the future. You mentioned it earlier, calling the lunchroom a classroom. It's a restaurant, but should also be a learning environment. And hopefully we can get more kids involved in the food process, building that relationship earlier and deeper than we have with previous generations. Yeah, having it smell delicious, being able to see it, have an interaction with the chef, yes. And what a relief for families. Like it saves families so much time, so much energy, just as a parent, be able to trust that the food that's given to your kids is something that you would buy for them and that you believe will support their academic excellence. Like that is such a relief for families and we need to be investing in strong, strong families. Thank you, Nora, for joining us today on Free From Podcast. It's been such a joy to speak with you about how Eat Real is helping kids eat real in our schools. And I hope that you're able to continue to expand and do your good work for those 2,000 schools on your wait list and beyond. And perhaps more importantly, get these policies changed on a national level so you don't have to. I love it. We don't have a lot of time. Like our kids are watching us. And so just super grateful for you having us here for this conversation, for your leadership, for all of your listeners who are curious and who want to do more and who want to get involved. And we're really, really excited and believe that this program is just getting started and that we truly can nourish the future with real food. Sponsored by Food Equality Initiative, I'm Sophia Gillespie, and this has been Free From Podcast. 
Please visit foodequalityinitiative.org to learn more and make a contribution to further our fight for nutrition security and health equity. Thanks for listening.